Welcome to Money Grows on Trees. Money does grow on trees. A podcast full of practical, real-life money lessons that you wish you learned in school. Lloyd is a former lawyer turned lifestyle entrepreneur. In each episode, he'll be answering the tough questions around money, investing, and entrepreneurship to help you transform your money mindset and move you closer to achieving your financial goals. Now, let the class begin. Here's your host, Lloyd Ross. All right, welcome back to the show, Money Grows on Trees podcast. My name's Lloyd Ross. This episode is titled, The Six Things I Look For in a Stock. There you go. The six things that I look for when I'm buying an individual business or pieces of an individual business, which is actually shares, right? Shares of a business, shares in a public business, so shares on the stock market, right? Because... Uh, if a business gets big enough and it needs capital, what it does is, if you haven't listened to the episode on what is an IPO, go back and listen. Because what it does is it actually then sells shares in itself to the public and lists on the stock exchange and then provides financial information every quarter to the public who own the shares in the business. So it becomes a publicly owned business, okay? And you can buy pieces of great businesses. That's what stock. That's what stocks are. That's what shares are. They're shares of a wonderful business hopefully or like a lot of people you own shares in a crap business and that's why you don't make money right because you're buying shares in a business you don't understand so if you haven't listened to the five most common mistakes people make when investing in shares listen to that episode too because it's really uh, important episode for you to listen to but that's not what this episode is about this episode is about the six things i look for in a stock okay so here's and I've modeled this off um, the likes of all the best value investors in the world, the likes of Warren Buffett, who's taught thousands and thousands of people how to invest. Um, many people still don't listen to him. I don't know why, but Charlie Munger, uh, Greg Alexander, Seth Klarman, um, to some extent, Carl Icahn, but he, he's more of a corporate, um, an activist investor. But, but this is usually how most investors approach markets. If you look at Bill Miller, Lee Lu, um, Manish Prabhai. I mean, the list goes on. There's some wonderful investors out there who are managing billion-dollar portfolios um, and have obviously yeah, made a lot of money investing. So um, I've modeled my investing off those foundations and principles. And when you really, when it boils down to it, um, it really is common sense. I know that seems ridiculous, but it is. And it's just that, I don't know, maybe it's not all that common, right? So these are the foundations to investing in general. Like you could apply this to real estate, you could apply it to anything, right? It, it boils down to really important principles, okay? So here are the six things I look for in a stock. The very first thing I look for is um, making sure I understand the business because it's not a stock. People think that a stock is like a blip on a screen that goes up and down. They go, oh, I bought that stock. It's like a little, like a hobby or a game or a casino game. Like, oh, I bought that for a dollar. It's gonna go to a dollar ten. I'm gonna sell it. Like that's that's not what stocks are. They're shares of businesses. So the first thing I look for is, do I understand the business? And what I mean by that is, do I know how it makes money? <laughs> do I know how it makes a profit? Because if I can't explain how a business generates its income and revenue and profits, then I have no I have no business investing in that because I, I, why would I put money into something where I don't know where it makes money? So you've got to understand the business model to the extent by which you understand it makes money and serves customers either through its products or services or whatever it is. But you have to understand it in detail. 
And the first thing to do to understand a business is to go to the company's website and read the annual report. That's how you learn about a business. And then I think it was Warren Buffett, he read, before he placed his investment in the 1980s in Coca-Cola, he actually went back and read 100 years of annual reports of Coca-Cola. Talk about doing your homework. That's how he learned about the business. He went back 100 years and read every single annual report that the company has to learn about the business before he bought it. And he bought it for an absolute bargain too. So anyway, understand the business is the first step, okay, of the six. That's what I look for, me understanding what the business does, okay? The second thing I look for in a stock, does it have a high return on equity or high return on capital deployed? What does this mean? You can find this information on, you know, like any research platform you're looking at. You can also find out this on in the company's annual report if you know a little bit about how to take the profit and divide it by the equity. Okay, now I'm not gonna get into the detail of how to do that, but understanding what return on equity is, it's in, in its shortest format. It's the profit of the business, the net income, divided by the shareholders' equity. Now, shareholders' equity is just assets, the, the company's assets minus the company's liabilities equals its shareholders' equity, okay? And that is like its net assets. Basically, it's it's bare bones of the assets that are producing income for the business. Uh, if you take its income divided by its net assets, basically, is what it means, is its return on equity. Now, without, <laughs> I don't wanna confuse you, okay? So if you're confused, that's probably pretty normal, okay? You should be, because this is new to you. But return on equity is a really important financial ratio because it measures the quality of the business. And what do I mean by quality? Well, when a business has a high return on equity, it means for every dollar that it invests in itself, it produces more than a dollar. So it's not capital destructive, it's capital accretive. It's good at investing in its own business and producing more than it invests in its own business. And that's what creates growth. So you have to understand that it has to have a, a return on equity that's probably more than nine or 10%, okay? So having a business that can produce, uh, for every dollar invested, if it can produce a dollar nine or a dollar 10 back in profits, then it's a wonderful business. It's producing more than it's taking, okay? I know this seems elementary, but it's so important. People buy businesses all the time where there's no, there's a very low return on equity or a negative return on equity. I'm like, why are you doing that? It's destroying its own capital. It'll catch up and you'll end up losing a lot of money. So this measures quality of a business. So some great businesses like Apple have a return on equity of like 150%, which is incredible, like incredible, like ridiculous, right? Um, so you wanna look for businesses that are, have a return on equity of probably more than 10%, I would say. Okay, um, and, and, and it's interesting because long-term, the price of a stock will actually, or, sorry, not the price, but the returns of a stock, so yeah, I guess the price returns, uh, will actually be very similar to the return on equity. So for example, if, if you have a return on equity of 10% per annum, then your returns on that investment are probably gonna be around 10%, just so you know. So if you've got a, a, a return on equity of say, 20% consistently, like companies like Google, Microsoft, Apple, um, Costco, these really high quality businesses, they've got returns on equity of above 20%, which means if you invest in those businesses, typically you're gonna have returns on your money every year of 20% or on average, right? Now, not all the time, but that's a pretty good gauge 
for what it's going to return to you. So they're very high quality businesses. So the re- the reason I have why I have return on equity so high on the list is because if it's got a low return on equity, it's a very low quality business, and I have no interest in investing in low quality businesses. It's just not. It just it immediately just gets ejected from my from my realm. It's gone. Okay, because you only want to buy quality. Okay, so I hope that makes sense. Because when a company's got a high return on equity, it means it's high quality. And what's interesting is if it can also get, if, if the return on equity is also increasing year by year. So if you look at the last 10 years of re- the return on equity of a business, if it's not just at 10% consistently, which is amazing, if it's return, return on equity of 10% or more every year, that's great. But if it's also growing its return on equity every year, it means that it's accretively getting better as a business over time. So it's actually widening its competitive position, which means it's getting stronger and stronger. And if you look at Apple, it's what's happened over the last 10 years is why Warren Buffett owns, it's his biggest position. 40% of his portfolio is in Apple. And this is why, because he bought it when it had a good return on equity. Okay, He understood the business really well, selling for a reasonable price. And he bought tons of it. I think he put $50 billion into it because... He could see, this is why they call him the Oracle of Omaha. He can almost see into the future. He could see bit by bit with its ecosystem, it's going to actually improve its return on equity every single year. Now, that is a wonderful business. And he said that Apple is probably arguably the greatest business in the world at the moment because not only has it got a high return on equity deployed, um, but it also is increasing that all the time. I think it's either ROE, so return on equity, or return on capital. Return on capital is probably a better measure because it's included the debt's included in that. Um, because if you have a company that is has is employing a lot of finance, so it's like borrowing a lot of money, it can artificially increase its return on equity through leverage. So just be careful of that, obviously. But yeah, I think ROE is a really important financial ratio to understand. Okay, because it tells you it's the barometer for the quality of the business. Okay, and the higher the quality of the business, okay, if the stock does well, the price does well. Right, and you'll get a great return on your money because you've got you're investing in a great business, and that will grow over time, which means your money grows over time. That's how investing works, okay, in businesses. So there you go. That's the second thing. It's a bit more of a, a, a drawn out one, but it's important. The third thing to look for that I look for in a stock is it's got to have a wide moat. Now, uh, breaking it down, a moat is like a you know in the old days they had a castle and they'd have a moat around the castle. What the objective of the moat is to actually prevent people attacking the castle, right? So when it comes to a business, the moat is basically what are some of the things that the business has in place? What are some competitive, durable, long-standing competitive advantages that the company currently has that are unlikely to ever be competed away? That's a moat. And the wider and deeper the moat, the better, okay? So you wanna find businesses that can't be competed away. And they usually have a very, so it's something that you can't copy easily is what that means, basically. So if you can't, if, if someone can't come, because when, when a business starts producing massive profits, they become a target. And all these other businesses try and compete for that money in that market at the time because they want to share the profits too. So a, a great business has a wide moat, meaning that not a lot of businesses can actually compete with them. And you really want to almost find a monopoly, something that's just uncompetable. And I think that Microsoft over the last you know, 30 years has really had a monopoly um, on operating systems and you know, it's, it's, it's plethora of Microsoft Office products. So you can see that that business has a very wide moat, which is why it's been around for so long and still growing so well. So a couple of businesses that have wide moats, 
Google. Okay, it pretty well owns search, not only for Google but YouTube. It's just it, it's impossible to beat that. It's it's so ingrained. It's got a very wide moat. Microsoft, Apple has a very wide moat in its brand and its and its its iPhone usage. I mean, it's incredible, right? Um, businesses that can't be toppled. Coca Cola has a wonderful moat um, in its brand, and it is it, you know Richard Branson tried to compete with Coca Cola with our Virgin Cola and just got decimated. Like, so anytime you see a business with a wide moat, it means it cannot be competed away, right? Um, so there you go. All these wonderful businesses, probably the most valuable businesses in the world, tend to have a very wide moat because that's how they became valuable because no one could compete with them. They couldn't topple them. So you want to avoid companies um, that don't have a moat, okay, that get competed away because competition takes away profits, okay? Um, you know, Blockbuster got hammered by Netflix, competed away, gone, Kodak, Xerox, um, you know, businesses that don't have a wide moat, you don't really want to invest in them because you can't hold them for long periods of time. You want to be able to invest in a business and hold it for 30 years without touching it. And that's what great businesses will do for you. And the likes of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and these guys, they buy they buy high quality businesses for reasonable prices where they don't have to make any more decisions for 30 years. And that's what happened with Coca-Cola, with Warren, right? That's what happens with C, like so many of his his positions like American Express, Coca-Cola. Um, I mean, Apple now, he's held that for a number of years now and he'll probably hold that forever. That's why he says the greatest holding period of a great quality business is forever. And if it's not forever, you probably haven't done your job right to begin with, okay? So a wide moat is something you want to look for. Now, what 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 are some things to look out for that show you that the company has a wide moat? Well, let me explain a couple of them for you. Number one, a very valuable brand, okay? It allows it to to sell and raise prices without losing customers. That's a very, it's called pricing power and that's a very good um, component to a wide moat brand. Think Nike sells shoes more at a premium to other people because of its brand, okay? Um, obviously, you know, Apple's got a great brand. Uh, Mastercard's got a great brand. There's so many great brands out there, but a brand is important. The next thing is, is it a cost leader? So is it the lowest cost producer in the marketplace? Okay, now if you look at a company like Costco, it actually sells the cheapest stuff because it can sell at scale. So people are buying in bulk that allows it to negotiate better prices from its suppliers, but it also doesn't gouge the customer. So it actually artificially keeps its prices, its margins at 14%, while people like Walmart do 20%. So it actually artificially reduces its own uh, profit margins to keep the customer happy. So it's the lowest cost producer in that space, which is what makes it a wonderful company, right? It's got a wide moat. You look at Costco, I think it's gone up 40-fold since it started in the last however many years. It's, it's crazy, 4,000% return since inception. What a wonderful business. Um, network effects, so uh, this is a, a, a component of a wide moat, network effects. So like uh, Facebook has very strong network effects. The actual network on Facebook makes other people come to the network and then it reinforces that network. It's called a self-reinforcing loop, okay? And you've only got to have WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook go out for a day and you realize how wide that moat is in that company, right? So network effects is powerful. Um, switching costs. This is what makes banks really have a wide moat, which is why Warren Buffett holds Bank of America as one of his hot, biggest holdings. He just also bought Citigroup. But um, banks because they've got high switching costs. Um, they, they, they're probably not as high as they used to be, but they're still high. Like to go and change a bank account, all your bank accounts and your loans and everything to another bank is a pain in the butt, 
It's like it takes you time and effort and cost. You're like, oh, I can't be bothered. So those switching costs are very high. So it actually prevents them losing customers. And that is a powerful piece of a moat, okay? The other ones are scale. So being able to like buy things at scale. Walmart's a great example of scale. Uh, and patents, okay? So like IBM's got a lot of its moat is in, is in, in its patents. Uh, same as um, Tesla actually, but it gave away a lot of its patents. So there you go. So that those types of things uh, keep a company very, very powerful. They keep a company from being competed away. They keep a company from losing consumers, okay? So it has a wide moat. They're the things that make that up if you want to look for it, okay? That's the third thing. The fourth thing is, what I look for is gotta have great leadership. So you want to you you do want a business so good that uh, that even an idiot can run it because as Peter Lynch used to say sooner or later one will. So you want you do want a business that's so simple and so amazing with such a wide moat. You, you have someone who's bad at leading the company and it still doesn't die, and that's what you want. But but you do want to have a company that's got great leadership. Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, is arguably the greatest CEO out there. Um, he manages that Apple business like ungodly well. Um, and so good leadership is this. They they divest out of markets that don't produce good returns on capital. They are conscious of having high returns on equity in their business. So it's very high lean business. They don't overstaff. They are lean on their costs. They don't have plush offices. They don't overspend on dumb things. They are conscious. Uh, they're good leaders of their staff and their teams. They are um, looking after the brand reputation of the business. They own a large amount of shares in the business. They, um, they're incentivized well. So they're incentivized through stock ownership rather than just remuneration and pay. They don't take massive bonuses when they shouldn't. They, you know, they're good character. They've, you know, they've got a good business mind. They, um, they buy back stocks of the business when it's undervalued. They're good capital managers. They don't just go and make acquisition after acquisition of all the company's cash for no particular return, right? That's sign of good leadership. And so many companies have died because of the leaders have been egotistical idiots, right? And so when you find a wonderful company with wonderful leadership, it just creates massive returns for you. And that's a great example would be Apple, right? Uh, and there's been excellent examples of great leadership. I think that um, Matt Common of Commonwealth Bank in Australia is a great leader in a great business. Okay, there's a good example. Um, uh, look, th there's, a, there's a variety of great leaders of great companies. I think um, Nadella is a great CEO of Microsoft, but you'll see, you, you'll be able to see very quickly whether they're a good leader, okay? And if they're not, then you don't really want to be caught up in a business that's got, you know, not very good leadership because sooner or later it's going to hurt the company, right? The next part, number, bear with me here. This is, I know I'm going deep on this stuff, but um, Phil, I asked him, I said, hey, Phil, what do you think, what kind of topics would you want to learn when it comes to investing and money and entrepreneurship, he told me, hey, what do you look for when you when you wanna buy a stock? So I know that whatever he wants to learn, you probably wanna learn. So I'm giving you the exact formula that I would look for and follow when I'm buying an individual stock. So I hope you're enjoying this part of the podcast, of this episode, it's really detailed, okay? The fifth thing I look for out of the six is I wanna invest in a business that's buying back its own shares. And what Charlie Munger says, you wanna look out for cannibals. Cannibals are businesses that are eating themselves up, so buying back their own stock. But you want to buy a business that's buying back their own stock when the stock value or the price is undervalued. And who's the best at this? Warren Buffett. He buys back Berkshire Hathaway shares when they're undervalued, and it's quite easy to it's easy to spot when Berkshire Hathaway is undervalued because he's buying back his own shares. I think he spent fifty billion dollars in the first quarter, second, last quarter of last year, buying back or last year 
buying back stocks of his own business, Berkshire Hathaway. When Tim Cook um, took over Apple, they had about $250 billion of cash on their books. And Tim Cook started buying back Apple stock when it was undervalued. And that's why Warren Buffett took a massive position in Apple. Because he's like, oh, he's a cannibal. He's gonna buy back all its own stock. That's gonna be wonderful for me. Because as the company buys back its own stock, the public securities outstanding become more valuable. Because there's less of them. Make sense? So I look for something that's got ongoing share buybacks when the stock is undervalued. It's a wonderful, um, it's a great barometer for good leadership, okay? And hey, your stock price will do well. It puts a floor in the stock price. It's amazing, right? So you want to look for share buybacks. Um, a great book, actually, you can read. It's called The Outsiders. And a wonderful book. And it's all about capital allocation of CEOs of great companies and how they've actually allocated the capital so well in their businesses that it's created massive shareholder value and shareholder returns for the owners and, and investors in those shares. So go get that book and read it. It's a, it's a real eye-opener. It'll it really help you. Okay, the sixth thing I look for in a stock is, of course, the most important thing is not... Let me tell you what it is. It's a fair price. So you... You don't overpay. Like if you have a quality business that hits all of those components that I just went through, but it's selling for like way more than what it's worth, you all of a sudden you can take a great business and a great investment and turn it into a really shitty investment, okay? Or crap, I shouldn't swear on the podcast. It's probably the first time I've sworn, but it, it's true. You don't want to turn a really great company into a bad investment by overpaying for it. And that's what happens all the time too. Like... Um, particularly in bull markets like what we just went through. Like let's say you've got a wonderful business like Amazon and uh, and it's selling for 100 times earnings. Like 100 times earnings? Uh, you want to buy a business that's selling for a fair price and a fair price is probably something like 10 to 15 times earnings. You don't really want to go above that. You know, some people buy businesses for 20 times earnings because the business is just such high quality like Google or... Um, uh, you know, I guess, uh, what else? Apple, perhaps. That's twenty times earnings, and, and and you'll see people buy it for that price. That's, but at a hundred times earnings, it's like, hundred times earnings. Let me break that down for you. What that means? If you've got a property, because everyone understands property really well, um, it's the same thing. Like if you've got a property worth a million dollars, and it's producing, um, let's say, uh, fifty thousand a year in rent, which is pretty normal. It's a 5% yield, which is actually a 20 times earnings, okay? Because the property is selling for 20 times what it's annually earning. So property typically sells at 20 times earnings, okay? A PE ratio of 20. So people often buy properties at that rate, and that's a fair, that's a fair price. So if you're buying a stock at a PE ratio of between 10 and 20, that's a fair price, okay? But as soon as it goes into like 50 times earnings, 100 times earnings, like Tesla selling, was selling at one point for 1,000 times earnings, you're really playing a gnarly game there because if that business doesn't meet those expectations of earnings over the next however many years, the stock price gets hammered, like absolutely hammered. And a great example of that is recently Netflix. It was selling for $600 a share. It missed its earnings. So it had, it was. I don't know what the expectations of earnings were for that business, but it was selling for a really high price. Peer ratio was really high because the expected earnings were so high confidence was just massive in that business but it missed and when it happened it got hammered and it dropped down to like a hundred and something dollars a share which is what probably sitting at two hundred dollars a share now so people lost like 
80% of the value in like three weeks. Boom. So there's a great example. Great business, great leadership, somewhat of a moat with its brand and network effects and scale and so on. Good leadership in uh, Reed Hastings, who's the CEO. It wasn't doing any share buybacks because it wasn't cheap enough. But then people were buying it at a ridiculous price. And of course, when it missed earnings, they just got hammered. So you took a great business and because it wasn't selling at a fair price, you turn it into a crap investment. So good quality businesses don't mean good quality investment all the time. The price matters. And I think too many people think that um, a stock's price is the same as its value. It's not. It's got nothing. Price has got it's got nothing to do with its value. So, for example, um, if if a, if, a, if a real estate asset was selling for a million bucks and or, or, or going to produce, let's say it's going to produce fifty grand a year in income and rent, what would you pay for it? Would you pay a million bucks for it? That's pretty fair. Would you pay uh, if, if it was producing fifty grand a year in income as a property? Would you pay a hundred grand for it? Yes, all day long. You're like, oh my god, I can get my money back in two years. That's amazing. That's selling for two times earnings. That's incredibly cheap. Um, would you would you buy a property that was producing fifty grand a year in rent for thirty million dollars? No, it's ridiculous, way overpriced. Why the heck would you do that? But people do it every day in the stock market because they don't understand how to value a business. It's so simple. PE ratio is the most simple form of valuation. I mean, at least look there. So you don't want a PE ratio more than fifteen, probably. And and here's the problem: most of the great businesses they rarely sell for cheap. So that's why you'll see Warren Buffett. He bought Apple, I think it was selling for like 10 times earnings. It was ridiculous. He bought that so cheap. And he bought Bank of America at 10 times earnings. He bought, you look at him, he often buys business, great quality businesses when they're on sale. And they're on sale because there's some, uh, some, there's some unknowns around it that the investing public has missed or they don't like. And um, like Charlie Munger recently just bought Alibaba for cheap because it's all the political risk. But he's buying a quality business for a cheaper price because he—it's when it's marked down. So they—they want to buy great quality businesses when they're when they're on the operating table, okay? And that's how he does it, and that's why he only buys every so often because you can't find great quality businesses that are selling for cheap. They rarely sell for cheap. So if you're going to go through that list of six things, that's the six things, by the way. If you're going to go through that list, you can hammer, you can hit all the list and go, this is amazing. This makes sense. I get the business. Got a high eye. He's got a great moat, good leadership, ongoing buy. This is awesome. But it's too expensive. Then don't buy it. You're not compelled to buy it. You're not compelled to buy it. You don't have to. Sit, sit on your cash and wait. There will come a time where great businesses sell for cheap. And when you find it, swing big. Invest in it right? Because you're going to do really well doing that. That's how you beat the market. But too often, people are buying low-quality businesses okay, for cheap. And of course, you've got to buy and sell all the time. It's too hard and you lose a lot of money. Or they're buying high-quality businesses for too much. So the trick is buy high-quality at fair prices. okay. As Warren Buffett used to say, I think he still says it, uh, it's better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. And there you go. But look, this is just my own experience. This is the six things that I look for when investing in individual stocks. And I think if you have this framework, at least, like at least you'll know half what you're doing. Like, uh, it's going to give you some guideposts, okay? Because it's a, listen, it's a really tricky game. It is. Um, Not so much logically and, and, and theoretically, it's not tricky, but it is tricky emotionally. Because as you buy it, the stock can go down drastically and you think you've made a mistake, but you haven't. And it's your ability to see the 
fall in stock price and still understand the business so well that it doesn't bother you. And that is the game. And most people can't play that game. And if you can't play that game and you can't bear it, don't play it. Go buy a piece of real estate and just sit on that for 30 years, you'll make money, right? So sometimes it's deciding if this is the right game for you or not, okay? Um, but yeah, if you approach it with those metrics, the six things, you're at least going to probably hopefully do okay, okay? So I hope that makes sense. hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a really detailed episode, but I think it's a really, va- well, I don't think, I know it's a flipping very valuable episode actually because it took me 14 years to learn those six things and explain it in this way to you so you get it. So I hope you've found value from it. If you have, share the episode with a friend. Um, you know, uh, Leave me a five-star review on the, on the episode. Jump into our Telegram. I do a, a month, a daily money tips on Telegram. Uh, jump in there. Go to lloydstelegram.com. You can jump in there. It's free. Okay, jump into there. Got daily tips. You can comment on things I put in there. Jump into our Facebook group, Money Grows on Trees. Um, shoot me a DM on Instagram, you know, uh, comment on my reels, just engage with me and, and let's chat, right? Let's, I want to continue to help you learn more about money, investing, entrepreneurship. So do that. And if you haven't grabbed my books, you know, grab them, grab my two books. You'll really enjoy them. And, uh, of course, um, I've got, uh, many, many more great episodes coming for you on the podcast. So thank you so much for listening and thanks for those who are sharing it to their stories and sharing the word so that we can educate ourselves better particularly in australia and in america the, the western markets but all over the world really start to educate ourselves financially because it's really how you build confidence with your money okay so hey see you or talk to you on the next episode of money grows on trees thanks for joining us this week on the money grows on trees podcast if you like the show you might want to check out our book money grows on trees which you can find at lloydjross.com subscribe to the show on itunes leave a review and feel free to reach out to lloyd on instagram at lloyd james ross 